Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. What we have to remember about COVID is that it was novel. So we had never seen something like COVID in the past. So then we can make very similar assumptions about long COVID. This is really, I think, unprecedented, the the amount of research that's being done on a condition that is just so hard to diagnose and understand that there's not a test for. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. Hi, my name is Erin Banco, and I'm a global health correspondent with Politico. On the show today, Erin Banco on what we know and what we don't about long COVID. I think it's a phenomenon, it really, at this point. And I I think, you know, it's really worrying healthcare professionals across the country to the extent that they can't find exact treatments for long COVID. And also, they're trying to wrap their head around whether or not these symptoms ever go away or if they're lifelong or, you know, because some people get long COVID and the symptoms go away. Others don't, you know, and what, why is that? So there is no set definition clinically for long COVID. This is part of the problem that we're dealing with. Long COVID presents itself as a set of symptoms. So healthcare workers across the country are making those diagnoses based off a certain set of symptoms. Those symptoms can include shortness of breath, brain fog, fatigue is a big one. Mm -hmm. You could even develop some more rare symptoms like anemia. But what we do know is that those symptoms develop in people who have contracted COVID in the past. Now, some of these individuals might not have had a positive test that they had done or might not have known that they had COVID, were possibly asymptomatic, but then developed long COVID symptoms. So it's really Mm -hmm. a wide range of, of, of people. Anyone can get long COVID as far as we know. There are researchers and scientists out there who believe that the people who develop it were more likely to have contracted, you know, a more severe form of COVID or had severe disease from their COVID diagnoses. But again, we just don't know a lot. So I had COVID a couple of months ago. And for anyone listening who may be in a similar boat and sort of self-diagnosing themselves with fatigue or brain fog, how are healthcare professionals actually measuring brain fog, fatigue, shortness of breath, etc.? So when we talk about fatigue, we mean real debilitating fatigue. Although fatigue is sort of a general term and it can mean different things to different people. When we talk about long COVID, we mean fatigue that makes you sort of unable to get up in the morning or to move around a lot or to stay awake and concentrate on work. Shortness of breath, same thing. You know, you are fatigued and then when you try to, for example, exercise, you can't breathe that well or when you even try to just get out for a walk. Both of these things exist on a spectrum. You know, people can experience more debilitating fatigue or sort of just sort of sleeping, sleepiness fatigue. It sort of depends on on the person and the patient. Um, and brain fog is just like, a, yeah, a very general sort of vague term. But of the clinicians that I've spoken to, brain fog really means, you know, inability to sort of get through uh, reading a page of a book or, you know, sitting down to think about what you have to do for the day and you can't remember, almost like you can't concentrate on anything or you can't remember things. 
And you've been writing about a new CDC study that is studying long COVID. What are the questions it's aiming to answer? There's no test for long COVID, which makes it really hard to diagnose. Some estimates out there say that anywhere between like 10 and 30% of the people who have contracted COVID um, will develop long COVID. Another CDC study said that one in five adults will develop long COVID. But the study that I was interested in looking at was looking at the relationship between long COVID and mortality. We have not seen any studies really on this topic. Um, And what I found out is that there's a specific division inside the CDC that is responsible for looking at mortality across the United States writ large. And what they're doing is they're looking at death certificates that are submitted from the state levels to see if any of those death certificates indicated that an individual might have actually died from long COVID or for from the conditions that arise from having long COVID. And what they found were a couple of hundred, I think about 120 initial cases that they found where the death certificate listed long COVID, either by a physician or a medical examiner or a coroner. So what is our understanding right now of how long COVID can affect mortality? The short answer is that we don't really know. We don't really have any great (laughs) empirical data that tells us exactly how long COVID impacts mortality. But we can sort of look at what we already know about COVID and mortality and look at the relationship between, you know, those who have developed severe disease because of COVID and how that might have impacted their, their death. And it can ring true to long COVID, too. Many of the people who develop long COVID symptoms also had severe disease from COVID. Mm, So mm -hmm. they were more likely to have been hospitalized um, to seek care for things like shortness of breath, fever, any kind of sort of buildup in the lungs. So we can imagine then what might exist on a death certificate uh, for one who has on their death certificate long COVID, what may have led to to their death. And that could be very similar to the complications that led to deaths for those individuals who had severe disease from just COVID. It's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely scary because... <laughs> I think it's it's really scary because a a lot of these symptoms could be you know you you thinking that you just have a cold or a chronic cold. I was talking to one doctor who's in a long covid study uh, or leading it saying that you know he had a patient who had contracted covid in the past, had developed severe mm-hmm. disease and then like a year later still had a cough and thought it was just allergies or or something benign and mm-hmm. what they realized was that this individual actually had long covid. So it's all, it's scary for all sorts of reasons. You know, the outcomes can be scary, but also just the diagnosing part is particularly worrisome given that there is no set definition. It's really hard to diagnose. The symptoms can come up for other kinds of conditions as well. It could just be the flu. It could just be a cold, you know. So what doctors and nurses are really looking for is this, you know, systemic symptoms, symptoms that last over a long period of time that sometimes get increasingly worse. It can affect multiple organ systems. And so what clinics across the country are doing, they're just trying to study these patients and and find out more commonalities between the patient data. What can be done right now to help people with long COVID? And what are some of the possible treatments that researchers are looking at? 
Yeah, so there's actually not a lot that's being put out there yet on the treatment for long COVID. Um, mm-hmm. There are some cohorts of clinics across the country that are studying what treatments may work, but it's really right now on a patient-by-patient basis. So what I should say, though, is that because long COVID is so hard to diagnose, what people should remember about long COVID is that if you are feeling you know, any of these symptoms and have had a previous COVID diagnosis and the symptoms are not going away and they're starting to impact your life, you really should seek out a doctor and talk to him or her about it. Part of the problem that researchers across the country are running into is that the people who are coming into their long COVID clinics are people who generally have, you know, some education, some resources, the ability to sort of wade through the healthcare system, seek out care, advocate for themselves. And so you have to wonder about the people that don't have that those resources available to them or who may not be thinking that they have long COVID or haven't done any research. These clinics across the country are now trying to figure out what's a better way to make sure that we're getting, you know, all the people that we can into treatment into these clinics so that we can ensure that they get the proper care that they need and also that we have a better understanding of how many people have this and so we can study the condition more thoroughly. And what kind of research is being done to understand it so that long COVID can be standardized and treated? There's a a lot being done on the long COVID research side right now. First of all, the federal government is funding a large long COVID study through the National Institutes of Health. It's called their Recover Program. Basically what it does is it gives grants out to hospitals and academic institutions across the country to have them study cohorts of patients. And then there's like this purely research side of it, which is just looking at the patient data and trying to do the crunching of the numbers and 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 looking at potential remedies. And then there's the other side of it, which is the clinical side of it, where people are actually treating lung COVID. So that's the big federal study. It's called the NIH Recover Program. And then Other clinics who did not receive federal grants are taking up their own studies as well. So there are dozens of of institutions across the country that are just realized that long COVID or post-COVID was becoming um, an increasing problem for them. Those clinics don't necessarily have federal dollars or grants, but are doing their own sort of research that's been rolling out. And people are beginning to publish papers. Some of them have not been peer-reviewed yet, but I think we'll begin to see a lot more research done or papers written on long COVID over the next year once they're peer reviewed. Um, And Mm. we'll probably begin to see the results of that NIH or at least some initial results from that NIH recover program in the next year. And so until, like I said, a test is developed or there's some sort of, you know, recognition of a set definition by the CDC, it's hard to get standardized care and standardized data. Erin Benko, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Also in the news, the FDA's Independent Advisory Committee voted 21-0 with one abstention to recommend that the FDA authorize Novavax's COVID-19 vaccine for adults. It's unclear when the vaccine will become available and how popular it will be, given the fact that vaccines from Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson have been available for over a year. It is a protein-based vaccine from traditional technology used against the flu and shingles. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. 
It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening.